You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Now I want to invite you to open up your hearts and your minds to hear the word of Scripture. The Rixie family is getting ready to read the scripture to you from the Gospel of John. It is one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus uh, to the disciples, particularly to Peter. It is, of course, a, a wonderful story because its setting is along the seashore and it involves fishing, so I'm a big fan. But today I want you to hear these words and listen to the engagement and interaction between Jesus and Peter all the emotions, and consider what it must have been like in that early morning for the two of them to come together. Hear the scripture. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? We come to you, Lord, in this moment asking, hoping, pleading that you would use this encounter of Scripture to be an encounter of you. That the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts and minds would be found worthy in your sight and even more 
transformative in our lives because of what you do with them, what you say through them, and what you can make of us. We pray this in Christ our Lord. Amen. There was a wonderful little four-year-old girl who had a bandage on her finger. And the adult friend who was with her said, oh my goodness, what happened to you? And the four-year-old held up her finger and she said, Grandma did it. Now, this adult friend knew the little girl's grandmother, knew that this grandmother would have cut off her own leg before she ever did anything to hurt her eldest grandchild. And so she asked, well, I know your grandma didn't mean to do whatever happened. I know, said the little girl. I'm sure she told you she was sorry, right? She did, said the little girl, but didn't make it stop hurting. Now, the good news is, of course, that that four-year-old little girl has a relationship with this grandmother whose unconditional, overflowing love would have the opportunity for the rest of her life to let that boo-boo go away in the memory of it and the pain of it. And that later in life, we trust that that four-year-old little girl would grow up to be one who would love and emulate her grandmother. But in the moment, she was right, saying, I'm sorry, doesn't always take the hurt away. The first steps of trying to make things right with others are important, but they don't always make the hurt go away. In the story of Scripture this morning, we have this story of the encounter after the resurrection of Jesus Christ between Jesus and Peter. Now, Peter and Jesus had always had a turbulent, shall we say, relationship. Jesus had gone to Peter and literally called him off of the boat, his fishing boat, to follow him to become Jesus' disciple. And in the process of the walk in which they took, Peter emerged as the leader, the one that Jesus called out to be the leader. In fact, we remember in Matthew 16 that Jesus is the one who asked the question, who do people say that I am? And it was Peter, first and foremost, who said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. Peter had the courage and the faithfulness to be able to proclaim publicly for the first time, Jesus, you're not just a really good teacher, you're the Messiah. And Jesus responds back to Peter, you are the rock. You are the one who I'm going to build the foundation of my church on. You are the one who will lead my people. It's a powerful moment. And then, in just a few verses, where Jesus goes from blessing Peter with his own beatitude, blessed are you, Simon, Peter, to sending him to hell. When Jesus goes on to say, here's what's going to happen to me, describes the events of what we now call Holy Week, the trauma and the tragedy of events leading up to the crucifixion and then the resurrection. Jesus lays that out, and Peter says, 
Lord, I forbid that that should happen. It's not going to happen on my watch. I won't let it happen. I'll stand in the way. I'll stop it. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And that's the kind of relationship they had. From the highs to the lows, Peter sees Jesus coming out on the water. He's excited. He proclaims it's Jesus. Lord, I believe in you. Can I get out on the water with you? And Jesus says, yeah, come on out. And Peter gets out and sinks. Highs and lows, back and forth. This rocky relationship that they had continued throughout the entire time that they walked, throughout the land in which they proclaimed the gospel. This relationship with Peter continues to be one in which, well, like any rock when it gets rolling downhill, sometimes just can't be stopped and sometimes will go in the wrong direction. And that was often true for Peter. And yet, Jesus relied on him and had named him as one who would have a critical role after Jesus was gone. Well, now Jesus had been gone. Jesus was resurrected. But the fact is, Peter's still trying to get his head around it. The, The memory of all the trauma, the memory of what had happened with Peter during Holy Week was still weighing heavily on him, and I'm sure those with him. And while they had heard the proclamation of Easter, while Peter had looked in and found the tomb empty, there's still an awful lot to process, and he's trying to process this, this information that is almost beyond comprehension. And so in that state of confusion, Peter begins to choose to do something to try to get some normalcy back in his life. This past week in the Daily Devotions, I was spending time talking with you about Water Bergman's understanding of how we see in scriptures this system of how we relate to God, where it's orientation, where things are normal, comes to a time of disorientation, when things are messed up, and then reorientation, when we start to come out of our disorientation and we move back to something that feels, well, more normal. Well, Peter was in that process of disorientation, moving to reorientation, and decides to, instead of just sitting there by the seashore, he says, I'm going to go fishing. Now, this isn't recreational fishing. This is going back to his job. This is doing what he knew how to do, what he had done since a little boy. This is going back to following a pattern of behavior, taking action that he knew how to do without anybody telling him. And in doing something to hopefully pull himself out of the confusion, out of the disorientation that he was experiencing. And it's a good move to do whenever we're experiencing disorientation. There's a tendency for us to become paralyzed, for us to sit, for us to simply get more withdrawn and looking within and despondent. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just get up and move. And that's what Peter's doing. He's getting up to move. And he goes to do that normal thing he knows. He goes out fishing. He goes out all night, because back in those days, that's when the commercial fishermen fished. They fished all night. And that's when the best catches were brought in. But that night, not so much. That night, not at all. That night, they caught nothing. Peter comes in. And here's a maybe slight lesson from that. It is good to get up and move. Good to go do something when we are disoriented when we are struggling, when we are despondent. But simply going to do something may not be all that needs to occur. 
Because sometimes just going to go do something is just going through the motions. And Jesus would rather have us go into action where our motions and our behavior and our energy is mingled with the presence of Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when that happens, then change occurs. Because Jesus comes to the seashore and he came intentionally to find Peter, intentionally to be with the disciples. And he looks out and he sees them fishing with no result. He sees them coming in with no catch. And he calls out, put your nets down on the other side. And they do so. Hoping that it was Jesus, maybe, maybe just on a lark, maybe just on a whim, maybe just to see if they could break something, turn some money for their families. Who knows why they did it, but they did it. And they caught more fish than the nets could hold. And in that, Peter understands that this truly is the one they said was resurrected. This is the one who had been laying in the tomb, but wasn't when Peter looked in. This was Jesus. And he gets so excited, he literally jumps out of the boat, swims, runs ahead of the boat to get to the shore to be with Jesus. And when everybody comes on shore, they discover Jesus standing there with the fire already started. Jesus says, go bring some fish. Let's have some breakfast. And they're there on the shore roasting those fish. Peter's standing there soaking wet from his swim in, exhausted from a night of fishing, and also still weary emotionally from all that had gone on and wondering, what was Jesus going to do? Was Jesus going to call him out for not being there when Jesus needed him the most? Was Jesus going to chastise him? Was Jesus going to discipline him? Or was Jesus going to just go right by it? Let's sweep it under the rug. Let's not talk about it. Let's just move on. You can only imagine the thoughts and emotions going through Peter while they were eating their breakfast. And then Jesus, at the time that was right, turned his attention to Peter. It became clear Jesus was not going to let things just lie. He wasn't going to sweep them under the rug but he was going to talk about them as an opportunity for reconciliation. He asked Peter, in a section of scripture that goes after where the Rixies have read us to today, and that's intentional, I asked them to stop where they stopped. And where they are standing there eating their breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked. The first time, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I do feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He asked again a little bit later. Yes, Lord, you know that I do tend my lambs. And then a third time, a third time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And in that engagement, we discover the power of our faith in Jesus Christ to build bridges where there have been barriers and to bring reconciliation where there has been estrangement. In asking Peter if he loves him, Jesus isn't calling Peter out. He's giving Peter another opportunity to make his statement of affirmation. He's giving Peter an opportunity to proclaim once again 
the truth that was down in his soul. He's giving Peter an opportunity to move beyond the betrayal, move beyond the denial, move beyond the weakness, move beyond the fallings, move beyond the separation, and be able to proclaim, yes, Lord, I do love you. I'm in a new place. We're in a new place, and we're back together again. And right now, I love you. Again, I love you. Again, I love you. And then even more than that, Jesus gives Peter something to do with that love, something to do in leadership, something to restore his feeling of acceptance by Jesus. Because you notice, Peter doesn't have to ask Jesus, do you love me? Because Jesus had pretty well already demonstrated that. By dying, by resurrecting, and by coming to Peter, offering reconciliation. Do you love me? Peter didn't have to ask Jesus, do you love me? He knew it. And in that love, he finds the opportunity to find his own love of Christ, to find his own certainty, his identity, to be able to be the one, once again, who God had called him to be. To name the fact that, yes, things are broken, but they're now restored. There's new hope. There's new reconciliation. This is a powerful message for us today. Because we live in a world that is far too broken and in need of reconciliation, and nothing else will be able to bring us together rather than us leaning into our faith in Jesus Christ to trust that God and God alone will be able to bring estranged people together, to be able to bring folks together, to be able to speak new truth, to be able to find new ways, to be able to find themselves back to each other and back to God as we create a holy community, not only in the church, but in the world. That is our calling. In this work of reconciliation, the good news is that work is never over. Like the four-year-old little girl, she had a life ahead of her to be able to find opportunities to discover just how much Grandma loved her. Like Peter, he had a whole walk with Jesus forward from that moment to discover the power of Christ in his life and to leave the brokenness behind. That's the faith we have, and that's our work, and that's what we're called to live and to do. We have a faith that offers reconciliation and new hope. That's exactly what the world needs. This past week, a jury in Minnesota gave hope to the world once again that justice can be served and that we can begin to find perhaps the opportunity, the baby steps towards peace and reconciliation between peoples and in a broken culture. The conviction of Derek Chauvin on all counts in the murder of George Floyd was more than a condemnation of one racist act. It was a statement of what we will no longer tolerate in this society. It was a statement that all people shall and will be held accountable for their actions. It was a statement that in fact every victim will be heard and have the opportunity for justice in their name and on their behalf to be served. But it would be foolish to believe with this one act of justice that all the wounds of the past have been washed away. It would be silly to think that if in any way, shape, or form, this one act of justice is an opportunity for us to say we're sorry for all the things that have happened in the past, to think that all the wounds and hurts and bitterness and brokenness of the past are washed away. Not in that one act. But it's a step. And it's a step for us to know that we will continue to do the work of justice and reconciliation in the world. We will continue to hold all people accountable, and we will continue in the moments when society falls apart again and people are not served with justice, the church will be there to stand and proclaim that we will not allow or tolerate the kind of 
hate, the kind of wounds that we have all too allowed to happen in our silence. This is the hope that we have from this past week. Now, it's an ongoing work. It's not over. In fact, it's just continuing. But we have an opportunity now to use this moment as a chance to say, we will do better. We will be better. We will be stronger together, just a little bit more reconciled, a little bit drawn closer together in an act of grace, an act of hope. This ongoing work means that we will have to lean into more to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. We hear Christ call out to us, do you love me? And we don't have to ask Jesus if he loves us because we know that's already true. But in hearing Jesus ask us, do you love me? We also hear him say, if you do, then fend and tend to those in your world, those in your culture, those in your community, those in your church who are hurting, who are wounded, who are broken. Tend to those who are estranged. Tend to those who are victimized. Care for them. Take action. Do something in my name for the sake of Jesus Christ to care for those who need help the most, who need partnership the most. Do something for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because if we listen to Jesus say, do you love me? But not, do not do anything to help all in ways we can. Take seriously the work of creating a society and a church where every person and all people are received with respect and mercy and grace and justice. If we don't do those things, then our yeses to Jesus mean nothing. And just as that's true for the world, just as that's true in the places where we fight social ills, all the isms that are out there, just as that's true for how we witness to the world, to be, the church is a place where the ones who the world has rejected are welcomed, restored, redeemed, and lifted up to be leaders. So we do it in our most intimate and personal relationships. Where do you have in your life with those whom you have walked with previously places of brokenness and estrangement? Where do you have a need to sit down at a table and eat and find an opportunity, recreate a space where conversation can occur, where we listen to each other more than talk to each other, and where we offer hope and are willing together to take action built on love and restored trust? It takes work, but it's a good work. It's a holy work. And as we continue to baptize children in this church, as we are this morning in our in-person worship, and as we have been and will continue to do in the Sundays to come, we are saying to those families, we will be with you because we serve a God who loves you unconditionally, who loves your children unconditionally, and we are splashed in the waters of baptism that affirm for us that we have a calling, no less than Peter's, to tend to those we baptize, to nurture those we baptize, to encourage and feed spiritually, relationally, those who are baptized and those who the baptized serve. That's what we do today. And we will remind ourselves in this moment of the power and joy of that work. Our work 
of reconciliation. Our work of offering new life is never-ending. And that doesn't wear us out. That is good news. Because it means we have opportunities in days to come. When we fall down, when we fail, when things get broken, when things get shattered again, we can pick up the broken pieces and with the grace and love of Jesus Christ, find a way to put them back together and to be stronger in that effort. St. Peter of Damascus, writing from the 11th century, shares these words, should we fall, we should never despair, and so estrange ourselves from the Lord's love. Let us always be ready to make a new start. If you fall, rise up. If you fall again, rise up again. Because Jesus Christ makes that possible for us. We are never going to be so broken or estranged from one another that there isn't the possibility of reconciliation. Another way to put it is this. Frederick Buechner writes, Christians are those people who have been delivered just enough to know that there's more where that came from and whose experience of that little deliverance that has already happened inside themselves and whose faith in the deliverance still to happen is what sees them through the night. We have been restored into our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are invited to be reconciled with Jesus Christ. We are invited to express our love to Jesus Christ in word and action and to be the reconciling people of God in the world. And in that we find our hope. We find our joy. We claim our identity. This week, I invite you in prayer. I invite you in your walks, in your quiet moments, to feel, hear, and listen again to Jesus ask the question, do you love me? Not as a way of disciplining you, but as an invitation for you to find new ways this week to say yes. To say yes as you tend, care for, and feed one another in the name of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.